Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 24 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today wherever you're listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, I will get to our very special guest on today's podcast soon, but I feel as if I've teased this enough and we need to announce some very big news for the show. For the next year, Off The Block Swimming Podcast will now be sponsored and partnered with the biggest and best brand in the world of swimming, Arena. Yes, a massive thank you and welcome to Arena Australia for coming on board the show. You guys are truly one of the world leaders when it comes to race suits, goggles, equipment and apparel. And we are very proud to be partnering with you and look forward to a very exciting future working together. Stay tuned at the end of today's podcast for more information around our partnership with Arena Australia and a very big competition we'll be running this week to celebrate our new partnership. For now, it's on to today's very special and inspirational guest, Australian swimming legend, Patria Thomas. Had an absolute privilege and honor to chat with Patria a week ago and go through her unbelievable career, the highs, the struggles, and the fairy tale ending that was so richly deserved. So fill your drinks up, adjust the volume on your headphones, because Ep 24 with the unstoppable Patria Thomas starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noeken's hand. But the finish of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe's in front, Thorpe on the hall, Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is, in my opinion, one of Australia's most inspirational and courageous swimmers of all time. She is a three-time Olympian, finishing her career with eight Olympic medals, which she competed in multiple Com Games, World Champs, walking away with a massive number of medals all in all. And perhaps her biggest accomplishment of all was a decade-long career at the international level, overcoming injury after injury, setback after setback, and she finished her amazing career, befitting a champion on top of the world when she won the women's 100-metre butterfly in the 2004 Athens Olympics. It is a massive honour and a privilege to welcome to Off the Block Swimming podcast to Patria Thomas. How are you going, Patria? I'm good, thanks, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. Not a trouble at all, mate. Now, listen, I'm coming to you from the studios in Sydney today. I'm not going to lie, it's a bit fresh. Um, I've got trackies on and a jacket on out, out in the garage. I don't normally get so rugged up, but it's a bit fresh today. Where, where have we caught you? I'm actually in uh, northern New South Wales visiting my mum, who's been a bit unwell recently. So in a little town called Mullumbimby, which is where I grew up. So normally I'm based in Canberra, so I'm looking forward to heading back there soon to, to see, see my family. Be a bit fresh down in Canberra at the moment. If it's cold here, it'll be very cold in Canberra. Yeah, I think it's hit the negative uh, overnight temperatures now. So, yes, it will be a bit chilly. <laughs> now, mate, life is slowly getting back to normal, you know, following COVID-19. Restrictions are slightly being lifted. I think we're at stage one at the moment, which is great to see, and we'll be at stage two soon. Um, and I know speaking to a lot of 
you know, Aussie team members on here, um, you know, they're slowly getting back into training and getting excited about that. What about yourself? You know, what, what has uh, the COVID-19 um, pandemic done for you and how has it affected you and your family? Oh, look, I think like everyone, it's been a big adjustment to uh, not being able to, to actually go to the office to work. Um, you know, having to work from home all the time, having to homeschool the kids, which has been uh, a big challenge with my 11-year-old girl mm. uh, who gets distracted very easily. <laughs> um, I also, you know, I love being out and about, going shopping and, you know, having a, a meal out, going to the movies, all that sort of stuff. So I think just that whole that we haven't been able to do that. I mean, that's been the biggest part. I actually had um, lunch today in a cafe and actually Ooh. sat down and ate food, so that was quite quite exciting. With with restrictions, obviously, people weren't allowed to sit around you or is it getting a bit eased up there? Yeah, no, I think, it, you know, they could have 10, um, yeah. which are the restrictions at the moment. So, yeah, that was everyone was spaced out, and it was, but it was really nice just to, just to um, be able to sit down and have, have a meal and... Um, you know, I suppose support the local businesses as well. Mate, you mentioned there your work. I mean, I, I know what you do, but for all the listeners, what are you up to these days? What what work are you involved in? Um, I'm the uh, man- manager of high performance at Gymnastics Australia. So and a lot of people go, oh, gymnastics, you know, <laughs> what, what does she know about that? <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm still learning a lot, but yeah. um, at the end of the day, high performance sport is high performance sport, yeah. no matter no matter what, um, you know, discipline it's within. Um, the principles are all the same, so... I think I've been able to bring some different perspective, um, different experience into gymnastics. So hopefully I've been able to make a positive contribution so far. Absolutely. Now, mate, Tokyo Olympics were postponed till 2021. Um, how would you have gone, you know, if you were still in the pool at the moment and you got that news? Give us a little insight into, you know, what sort of goes through an athlete's mind at the time when you get the news that, you know, you've been training for this Olympics, but sorry, it's, it's going to be, you're going to have to wait another year. Yeah, look, it's um, yeah. I did actually think about that, how I would have reacted, and if it was, um, you know, leading into two thousand and four, um, which I always knew would be my last games, and I was counting down the days yeah. and the training sessions that I had to do to to get there. Um, had it happened then, I, oh god, it would have been um, <laughs> crushing. I, I actually don't know whether I would have kept going. Yeah. I, I think I would have, but I mean, you don't never know until you're faced with that decision, but. Um, you know, I, I still had something to prove and it would have been a bit um, soul-destroying having to, to push on for another year and and things, but I think I, I would have done it. But, yeah, look, I, I feel for the athletes and coaches and the administrators and the organisers and everyone involved in in sport, um, you know, both at the Olympic and Paralympic level. But, you know, it has been, well, it's unprecedented, as, as we know, and... Um, but, you know, hopefully the games will go ahead next year and, and they've all got that target at least to work towards at the moment. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, yes, it's it's a lot of training sessions. It's a lot of days. Um, there's, there's not really realistically going to be any competitions this year either. Definitely no international ones. Mm. Um, so it's a long stretch of training that they've got to get their heads around and um, get through. Now, mate, I'll, I'll get to it a little bit later in the chat, but you have a book that, that came out uh, a few years ago and I've been reading it. I, I talked to you just before we started about I have started reading it. Um, and, you know, something that I, I uncovered going through it, that was your big fan of, of basketball. Now, obviously, uh, you know, this pandemic has kept everyone at home and we've been binge watching things and, and definitely something that came up on Netflix that I was just 
loving was the Michael Jordan and uh, Chicago Bulls documentary that I think just wrapped up the other day, which I finished and I loved. Did you watch it and, and how much did you love it? I've watched half of it so far. Um, so, yeah, it's been really interesting just to, to see. Um, well, yeah, obviously it's focused on Michael Jordan, mm. um, but more broadly on the Bulls as well. And I, I remember, you know, that was right in the prime of when I was, um, you know, really loved watching the NBA on TV and and things. So, um, yeah, it's great to see the insight. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan is one of the greatest athletes ever to, to walk the face of the earth. Mm. So... To see, I suppose, his mindset and to understand um, his work ethic and uh, things like that is is just amazing. And, you know, he, he comes across, I think, as a very driven, of course, um, very uncompromising in, in the standards that he expected from himself and others. So, um, you know, but he's a great champion. Absolutely. And, you know, yourself, you've, you've been to the, the massive heights of Olympics and, and being on top of the dais and you've obviously been involved with other swimmers and athletes. You know, is there any correlations between, you know, his motivations and how he is uncompromising in terms of what he will and won't um, accept and, and other athletes that you've, you've trained with and, and competed against? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it, to be successful in any um, field, whether it be sport or other, um, you have to have, you know, that drive and determination and you have to have high standards. Um, that's the only way you get to the top. So, um, yeah, so I think it's, it's been interesting to, to watch, um, you know, watch some of those episodes so far. And my husband um, actually got to spend some time um, over in the bull setup. He spent mm. about a week there and um, was watching them train. And uh, I always remember um, him telling me that, even, you know, as great as Michael Jordan already was and he was in the prime of his career, he was always the first to arrive at training and the last to leave. He was always mm. the last one out shooting free throws, working on his game, mm. um, etc. So, you know, that to me just says, you know, whilst he was obviously very naturally gifted, he just worked and worked and worked to make sure he was the best yeah, there's definitely a great takeaway there from, for anyone, any athlete listening um, in terms of, you know, Michael being the first there and the last to leave. I think it's great advice for anyone out there who wants to get to the top of their, you know, chosen sport. Now, let, mate, let's get to your amazing career. I want to finish with COVID-19 rubbish and it puts me to, pulls me to tears with all the stuff here on TV. So let's get away from it. Um, and I guess we can't talk about, you know, the heights that you get to without sort of going right back to when you were a youngster and jumping in the pool. You know, what were your earliest memories in the pool and, and what drew you towards swimming? Uh, look, I um, come from um, Mullumbibby, which is in northern New South Wales, and it's not too far from um, Byron Bay in Brunswick Heads, so fairly coastal region. And I suppose just um, growing up in that sort of environment, one of the things you did was learn how to swim. So, you know, I, my um, parents lived probably only maybe 400 metres or so from the local swimming pool, and it was just a natural sort of thing that you went and had swimming lessons and I remember being in the baby pool which was literally probably 20 centimetres deep mm-hmm. um, and learning how to, to blow bubbles and then turn my head to the side to breathe and all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of where it all started for me and I just progressed through the local swimming club, you know, I did school swimming um, and just went from there. Was it always swimming for you? I mean, I, I touched on, you know, your um, love of basketball just before. Were, were there any other sports you were into growing up apart from swimming as well? 
Oh, I did loads of sports and I loved it. Um, you know, I did did my basketball, I played netball, I played tennis, um, touch football, softball, you know, did the school athletics, um, played a bit of soccer, uh, surf lifesaving I loved. And, yeah, so I had a, a great childhood where I was able to do lots of different um, sporting activities. And uh, looking back on it, I think it's actually probably – um, having that variety when I was younger is probably what helped me to stay in the sport as long as I did. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we hear so much, especially these days of teenagers going, oh, you know, my coach told me or my parents told me if I want to, you know, get really good at swimming, I've got to stop everything else. You know, you had such an illustrious career that spanned, you know, uh, what was it, 10, 12 years. So do you do you attribute, you know, in terms of the length of your career going back to, you know, being able to do the different sports and not just pigeonholing yourself at a young age? Oh, I think so, yeah. Look, it, I think variety is the spice of life, as they say. Um, and to have that variety of sports when I was younger was really fantastic. And, you know, coming from a, a regional, small regional town, is there's actually not a lot else to do either, um, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, so to have sport um, was fantastic and, and I loved every minute of it. And when I moved to the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra in 93, um, I had just, well, I stopped playing other sports for a while and I really missed it. And I ended, actually ended up going back and even while I was training and competing for Australia in swimming, I was still playing local basketball. So <laughs> much nice. to my coach's disgust, but anyway. <laughs> Mate, for, many, <laughs> for many people, you know, including myself, you're a part of an era that, you know, we considered, you know, heroes and role models and everyone looked up to, you know, including yourself, which is why I'm pinching myself that I'm talking to you right now. Um, you know, Kieran Perkins, Susie O'Neill. For you, though, growing up, you know, who were your heroes that you looked up to? And they might not necessarily have been in the pool, could have been outside of that. Uh, well, I've already talked about one of them uh, in being Michael Jordan. Mm. Um just um, to, to look at the level of greatness that he achieved. Um, within the pool, obviously, people like Dawn Fraser, um, you know, synonymous with uh, the golden era of swimming in Australia mm-hmm. back in the, the, the 50s and stuff, uh, 60s. So, yeah, people like that. And then more in the modern era, I suppose, um, you Kieran Perkins, um, you Susie O'Neill's, people like that um, that were really household names and, um, they were a little bit, they started their careers a little bit in front of me or before me. So um, I remember actually a camp that I went on um, to the AS uh, prior to when I um, actually moved there and I was on a New South Wales swimming camp and I remember standing watching some of the AIS athletes train, AIS swimming athletes, mm-hmm. and there was people like Matthew Dunn and... Um, Marty Roberts and many, many, um, you know, names that have been synonymous with Australian swim teams and, and being successful for many years. I, I just stood there and watched them in mm-hmm. awe, yeah. thinking that I was never going to be as good as them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think less than a year later, I was actually had um, got a scholarship and and I was there training with them in the same pool. And then, and then after a few months of um, being on scholarship, I was selected for my first Australian team and then all of a sudden I was um, teammates with them. So it, it was amazing um, to, to I suppose, um, realise my dream of um, being able to compete alongside some of these people and call them my teammates. 
Mate, you mentioned they're making the Aussie teams, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, I want to just want to touch on your, your training. So for yourself, you know, what did you enjoy most about training? Was it being around your teammates and your coach? Was it sort of pushing yourself in training and being really competitive, you know, with the guys next to you? Was it the competition side of it? What did you sort of enjoy most? Um. Well, I didn't overly enjoy training throughout mm-hmm. my career, but obviously it's a very necessarily necessary evil. Yeah, I, I like to think of it, but no, look, there was I did get a lot out of training, obviously, and um, the challenge of trying to improve yourself. I suppose mm-hmm. uh, we do like you know um, test sets and and things like that, where you're actually you know you're doing the same um, set, you know, multiple times. It, it, you know, over over a period of time, and to be able to see how you can improve um, during that, um, yeah. And I think the camaraderie. I, I swam with some, um, you know, really great people, um, and had great training partners. So, um, you know, whilst our head was in the water most of the time, that the in between the sets and when we're on the kickboard and and things like that, when we were stretching on pool deck and getting ready, um, you know, they're you know, you develop a great camaraderie with the, the people you spend um, that much amount of time with. So mm. um, they're the sort of things I think that, um, the, you know, that I missed when I finished, but certainly not the monotony of training. <laughs> Is it? Would it have anything to do with the fact you're a butterfly that you might not have uh, enjoyed the training as much? Oh, you're more butterfly, as we know, <laughs> is the hardest stroke. So <laughs> yeah. and the most physically demanding. So, um yeah, I was never one of these butterflies that could do long sets either, yeah. like of butterfly. Yeah. Um, so, like, I actually would rarely even swim hundred flies in training. Yeah. Um, usually, it was it was uh, like sometimes I would, but usually it would be free fly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I used to remember like there was a few people I'd train with Scott Goodman's one and, and Justin Norris another one that. Yeah. They were just machines. They could just keep swimming butterfly. Um, and I think I remember Justin doing a, a 1,500 or a 2K fly for oh, time. Damn. So, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't do that. <laughs> Mate, I feel for you. I, you know, I couldn't even do 25 metres. I don't know what you guys would have had to do. <laughs> Mate, 1993, and you mentioned there, you know, making your first Aussie teams. I think there was Pampax in, in Japan and – um, world champs you're a part of for the first short course champs in Spain now world short course champs in particular you walked away with two medals and um, one in the two, in the IM relay and one individually what were those experiences like for you I think you were 17 at the time so a young Patria on the team you know traveling the world how did you go with that oh yeah look it was amazing really a dream come true to to make an Australian swim team and as I said all of a sudden being uh, on the same team as people who had looked up to. So, yeah, it was very exciting. And I was trying to do year 12 as well at the time and it was a pretty crazy year in terms of, um, you know, because it had been a big step up in training for me as well when I moved to the RAS and then, um, and then you know, trying to do year 12 full-time in a different schooling system as well because I was obviously in New South Wales mm. um, up until then. Uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of changes and a lot of uh, adjusting and, and getting used to the, the new sort of world that I was living in. And um, But, you know, getting to represent Australia um, twice that year um, was an amazing, amazing introduction to the world of, um, you know, of international swimming. And, um, yeah, and I have um, very fond memories of actually all the trips I went on over the years, um, but obviously some of the first ones were really special 
What about that world short course champs in Spain? I spoke to Dan Kowalski the other day and he was saying that was definitely an interesting trip. Um, do you have many sort of memories or stories from that trip? Oh, yeah. It was in um, Mallorca in Spain. Mm. So, yeah, really, really scummy place to go to, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's why um, I mentioned it. He, did, he didn't speak too highly of uh, the place itself. <laughs> um, no, look, it was great. Um, and, you know, I was still underage and and it wasn't a big team from memory. No, um, yeah. And it was the inaugural um, World Short Course Championships mm. and, um, you know, I suppose back then it sort of seemed like a bit of fun as well because it was short course and, um, you know, I think a lot of swimmers don't place as much pressure on themselves when they're doing short course meets. Mm. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really exciting and to, to win an international medal and uh, things. It was it was great and, um, you know, still, I, I don't have a very good memory but I still remember <laughs> bits and pieces from that trip, which was, uh, which was a lot of fun. Hey, Com Games is a stage, you know, you've always had great success at and I guess your first big breakthrough would come in 1994 in Canada. You know, you win the 100 fly ahead of your teammate Susie O'Neill. What was that moment like for you and also, you know, being a part of the 4 by one IEM relay team? Oh, look, it was crazy. Um, you know, to, I'd always dreamed as a youngster to, um, you know, represent Australia and be able to stand on that number one podium and hear the anthem played. For something that I'd done, and I was able to achieve that in in Victoria, Canada, at those Commonwealth Games, and uh, it was my first multi-sport event as well. And I think that's one of the reasons why I hold the Commonwealth Games so dearly, and because it really uh, gave me the the springboard and the belief um, to be able to 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 realise that I um, I could compete on the world stage. And I remember when I won that hundred butterfly, I almost well, I think I actually did feel guilty that I'd beaten Susie. Mm. Um, and generally, you know, if you win the the, um, the stroke um, or the, the fastest Australian, you know, you get the spot in the medley relay. So, um, I, yeah, I sort of felt a bit guilty, I think, initially. And then I thought, well, hang on, like, you know, you can only race <laughs> who's in the pool at the time and, yeah. you know, it's whoever gets their hands on the wall So first. So, um, so yeah, so I sort of um, got over that. But... Yeah, it was an amazing feeling um, being able to stand on that number one podium and have that anthem played. As, as I said, it's something that I dreamed about for, you know, since I was a young child. Mm. Mate, before we get into 1996 in Atlanta, and I noted that 1995 was kind of a, a missed year for you in terms of competition and, um, you know, um, you know, sort of any accolades there on my research. What was going on with you through that year? Um, you know, talk to me about the road back to the Olympics in the following year and ultimately getting silver in the 200 fly. Was was that a tough road back? Yeah, look, it was. I think after Com Games, um, I sort of lost my way a little bit and, you know, I was living in a different environment as well and I think I was a bit lonely and I wasn't, Really sure, I suppose, after achieving that lifelong um, goal of, of, of winning for Australia, mm. um, I don't, I didn't really reset my goals quick enough. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed the moment and then, and then sort of came back and was like, well, what do I do now? I've, I've achieved this <laughs> lifelong thing that I've been chasing mm. and where do I go now? And I think it was a combination of a number of things, um, being away, you know, being away. Uh, from home and um, not having, not re-establishing a goal to chase after. I think I was just at that age where I was trying to work out what the who the hell I was. Yeah. 
where I was going, where my life was going, what value did I have, um, all those questions uh, that I think I would have, well, I know I would have um, had to tackle at some stage whether I'd be in sport or not. Um, so, yeah, so I think it was just a combination of all those things. Uh, yeah, I was feeling pretty scummy about, um, you know, the world and mm. myself and everything. So I wasn't wasn't having a very good time and um, obviously my swimming suffered as a result. But in saying that, um, at least the swimming was a constant in, in that time as well. It was yeah. something that was, you know, tangible and that I sort of had to keep going to do, which was sort of, um, you know, it was in some ways it was a good thing that I had that, the swimming there. Um, but, yeah, you know, by my standards, you know, 2000, uh, sorry, um, that year 1995 was, uh, you know, not a good year at all, both, um, you know, in the pool or, or personally. So it took me, you know, a, a fairly long time to work my way out of it and, you know, I had some pretty dark moments there. Um, but... I managed to um, learn how to, um, you know, talk talk about my feelings and mm. the things that I was going through, and and that really helped. I started keeping a journal, um, you know, and I I started to gradually, I suppose, see some light at the end of the tunnel, and um, particularly with the 1996 Olympics coming up, I'd always wanted to go to an Olympics, and I didn't want to let that opportunity uh, pass me by, so. Uh, somehow I managed to call myself out of the hole that I was in and, and mm. get back on the right track and uh, it certainly wasn't an easy or a fast process but, yeah, it was a, it's a long sort of gradual process. Mate, given the rocky road you went through to get there and obviously, as I said, you, you come away with the silver and the 200 fly, is that an accomplishment you look back on fondly and go, you know, I pulled myself out of there and I, I got back up and, and I still achieved? Yeah, absolutely, because, um, you know, I suppose I was kept the, you know, the problems I was having pretty private. Not hardly anyone knew about it and, and things. And um, as as we uh, have acknowledged, 95 wasn't the best year for me in the pool either. So I didn't – it was probably the only um, year I think I didn't win an international medal mm. uh, that I was actually competing. So, um, yeah, so, you know, when I um, made that um, – Olympic team for 96 um, I mean, it was a dream come true and I remember at the trials so, so normally people probably think of me more as a 100 butterfly um, mm. and I certainly liked that event the most I mm. didn't like the 200 fly at all for <laughs> yeah. obvious reasons <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I went into the um, to the 100 fly at the trials event in Sydney I think I think it was in Sydney and um you know, with that being my main event, I'd never trained for a 200 fly or anything. And mm-hmm. as we know, in swimming, you have to come in the top two and make a certain time standard. And yeah. I came th- third by a hundredth of a second. Um, so I thought my opportunity to go to the Olympics was gone. Mm. And I was devastated and I gave myself, you know, <laughs> I was in tears yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I thought after a couple of days, I'm like, hang on, I've got another chance here. And, yes, it's not my main event. It's an event that I don't like doing. Um, it's an event that I haven't trained for, but it is an opportunity mm-hmm. and I didn't want to let that pass me by. And I just went into it, did the best I could. Um, and I didn't make that. I came second yeah. uh, to Susie. I didn't make the A qualifying time, but I did the, I think it must have been the B qualifying time. So it was really in the hands of the selectors as to whether they um, 
took me or not. Yeah. And they decided to. And I remember with, when they were announcing the team and, um, you know, Thomas being sort of at the tail end of the the alphabet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you had to wait was, a while. Uh, towards, had to wait a while. And <laughs> yeah. I remember when they finally got to the T's, I'm like, oh, my God. And they called out my name. It was such a relief. So, um you know, it's very, very exciting to make um, make your first Olympic team. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mate, unfortunately, it's something that does tend to happen here on the podcast, especially when I have legends on such as yourself, is I don't have enough time to go through each and every performance and accomplishment because otherwise I'll, we'd be here for a week, which is definitely a massive, you know, compliment to you and your <laughs> career. So what I'd like to do is, is just throw you a year and a meet and you just give me, you know, your best memory or story from that meet uh, in your own account. So, um, sure, mate. I'll start with 1998 Com Games in Kuala Lumpur. Ah, uh, that was a great, great competition. Second Commonwealth Games, and I'd won the hundred fly in um, Victoria, Canada, in '94. Mm-hmm. So, really wanted to win it again, and I was able to do that, and um, it, it was great. It was, uh, you know, different sort of location being in um, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, so got to experience a bit of different culture, but it was, um, yeah, it was another another great meet. Hey, what about 1998 again, but world champs in Perth? Um, yeah, that was um, amazing. The, so the world champs were actually early in the year. Yeah. Um, so they were before the Commonwealth Games. And I'd actually had, after Atlanta, I'd had my first shoulder reconstruction. Uh, and so I missed pretty much all of 97 and then came back and I qualified for that world champs. And I'd never been under a minute in the 100 fly before. Mm-hmm. I'd done lots of double O point ones and twos <laughs> and yeah. all that sort of stuff, but never quite cracked a minute. And in the heats of the 100 fly at the Perth World Championships in 98, I went 58.99 in the heats. So I skipped the 59s and I remember when I touched the wall. I remember when I touched the ball and looked at the clock and I think I uttered a four-letter word starting yeah. with F yeah. because I was just so <laughs> um, so happy and, and so amazed that I'd been able to, to, to get the time. Mate, what about 2000 Olympics in Sydney? It seems strange that I'm going to say this as in a passing you know, comment um, to just get one memory, but you know, your career is so vast and I do think some of your best work was done towards the back end of your career. So 2000 Olympics in Sydney. Great home games, um, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for an athlete to do a home games, and it was fantastic. But in saying that, it was quite familiar as well because, um, you know, I, I'm a New South Wales girl. I've mm-hmm. come in the pool many times, been to Sydney many times. So there was nothing new or exciting about it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Performance-wise, you know, coming, I think I had won three medals or four. I can't remember there. Three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, by anyone's standards, that's probably not a bad game. Yeah. But I was actually disappointed. Um, you know, I did my best time in the tournament fly. I came away with the bronze and we won a couple of silvers in relays. I came fourth in the 100 fly. So all in all, um, I was disappointed uh, with with the way I'd performed. And, um, yeah, but, you know, great being involved in a home games. 
Now, mate, following 2000 Olympics, Susie O'Neill would retire from swimming after having, you know, a star-studded career. And Susie was, for lack of a better term, you know, a main rival to you uh, competition-wise, both, you know, domestically and internationally. You were lucky that you, you got to race her domestically as well. Talk to me about the friendly rivalry with Susie in the pool. How, how did that sit with you? Oh, look, yeah, we, we were, um, yes, we were rivals, as you are with anyone that you compete against, but, um, and you always try and win, you beat everyone else in the pool, but, yeah. um, you know, I got along really well with Susie, to be honest, and, and we still, you know, when we bump into each other these days, um, we still have a great chat, and um, I used to love being able to be uh, in the marshalling area with Susie, because we were, you know, doing 100, 200 flies pretty much every meet we went to, and um particularly when you're at international meets um it's nice to see a familiar face a friendly face in the marshalling area um and you know we used to when the um zip suits came in we used to zip each other's suits up and all that sort of stuff so yeah look i I get along really well with susie and i think in many ways we're actually quite similar in personality types as well um so you know i have the utmost respect for susie uh and what she achieved and I feel very fortunate that I had the opportunity to swim against her uh, for for the years that I did. I learned a lot from her. Yes, yeah, I'm glad you said that because you know I mentioned that you, you raced her obviously domestically and internationally. How much did that push you to you know to try and up your game and keep being better? And I know obviously you're a competitor and a fierce competitor, so you would have done that anyway. But you're fortunate enough to have you know, one of the other best in the world butterflies right next to you, nearly at, at any meet you went to, whether it was international or domestically. Do you attribute that to helping you, you know, push yourself to the next level as well? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I think, you know, when, when you've got um, whether it be one or two or, you know, a bigger depth of people who are all swimming at a very high standard, there's no doubt that that improves everybody um, because you have to, you have to be better to keep winning or keep qualifying for teams. So, um, yeah, look, absolutely. I I learnt so much from Susie and particularly around her consistency and her ability to swim fast anytime. Mm. Um, and, and I didn't have that early in my career, but I did towards the end of my career. Um, and that's I think that's the difference between um, being good internationally and being great and being able to know that you can swim pretty close to your best, if not your best, um, basically at any meet, no matter how you're feeling. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that that consistency is probably, um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I learned from Susie. And, you know, as I said, I was very grateful and fortunate to be able to swim alongside her for, for those years that I did. Hey, 2001 world champs in, in Fukuoka, what a meet for you. You came away three golds in the 100, the 200 fly and the IM relay, but you're also part of some controversy. Now, <laughs> I want to get to that first. And, and you, um, what started with a great moment for you and, and the girls in the 4 by 200 meter freestyle relay with yourself, Gian, Elka Graham and Linda McKenzie, ended in tears um, and I can still remember it watching it on TV as I'm saying this um, you would you guys were DQ'd after your race now for anyone who doesn't know the story um, the girls were anchored by Gian and you guys won gold beat the Americans and at the end of the race uh, you girls all jumped in the water to celebrate however you know the teams were still finishing their races which was not allowed within the the FINA rules so 
while you guys were doing your after race interview, it came up on the board DQ and I can still remember all your faces like um, you were there. So I'm sure this is a very big memory for you. But I can remember all your faces like, what, huh? What, what's going on? Talk to me about, you know, the highs and the lows within a space of, of minutes. And how was that one to cop for you girls, given that you'd done such a great job and genuinely got the gold and deserved it? Yeah, look, it was tough. It was one of those things that you wish you could go back and press the, the rewind button and reset button. But, uh, uh, look, it is what it is. And uh, as you say, we swam a great race to win. And I think from memory, I don't think the 4 by 2 team had, had done uh, or had been, you know, medal sort of level um, prior to that. Um, and, you know, we won the race and in, in a moment of... Um, you know, not thinking and, and, and excitement. We jumped in the pool, uh, the three of us that were on the, the deck, and unfortunately it was probably about a second too early. Yeah, it was uh, really close. There was I remember a, There was the a replay. swimmer, yeah, swimmer in lane eight, I think it was, that was still coming in to touch the wall. What we did didn't affect the outcome of the race, but, you know, it was against the rules. And, um, you know, it would have been great if they hadn't have um, disqualified us, but they did and, and they were just doing their job. So, um, you know, uh, no Australian relay team's ever done that since, put it that way. So <laughs> yeah. a, a hard lesson to learn, but, um, you know, it's one of those things. Um, they, it can either make you or break you, and I think we all were able to, yeah, obviously after the, the devastation of it and, and the tears and, Things we were able to move forward and um, all went on to, to bigger and better things. Mate, that was very well put and great sportsmanship in the way you just uh, spoke about that for anyone out there listening because that is at the height of um, the pinnacle of, of swimming and, and the highs and the lows. I'm sure maybe uh, the mindset wasn't exactly the same in the warm-down pool after you got the news, but in time over the years you've, you've managed to – to uh, let it slide so mate well done congratulations because you're a much better person than me I would still be seething um, oh, individually yes. um, you know massive meat for you in terms of you know pretty much owning women's butterfly at that time and must have been a massive confidence boost for you and did that sort of meet give you the confidence to sort of battle through all the adversities and you know we're, we're going to touch on it a little bit later but with your, your shoulder reconstructions and things like that and keep pushing towards Athens Oh, look, yeah. I mean, I, I um, considered retiring after Sydney 2000 games. Um, so to be able to bounce back from that um, and come back in that 2001 World Champs and, and win multiple medals uh, was, you know, a big confidence boost. And it was sort of – it was the post-Susie era as well. So I really felt like I had something to prove. Mm -hmm. And to be able to win, um, you know, a, a double world championships in the individual events was really, really special. So – um, to be able to call yourself a world champion and know that at that point in time on that day in that event, no one was better. Mm. So that's a, that's a pretty amazing feeling actually. And um, as you say, like we've already spoken about the DQ in that relay, but um, you know, um, you know, I had the individual success. But, um, my um, grandfather actually died during the competition, and I, I, I wasn't told. Mm. Um, until the end, and um, so it had been such a roller coaster ride um, that that particular competition, and and we ended up uh, um, at the end of that meet as the number one swimming nation in the world. Mm, um, massive, it, you know, like, and that's not been repeated since. So, 
um, it was amazing to be able to be a part of that era and a part of that particular team also um, and to be able to to, to, do, uh, to achieve that result. Mate, you must have needed, needed some time off after that, mate, with the highs and the lows and the, you know, being world champion, being DQ'd and then obviously the, the devastating news you, you would get at the end of the week. Did you get some time off after that to just get away from everything? Uh, I Yeah, I can't really remember actually. Uh, there was sort of all the years and competitions and stuff just sort of blur into each other right, after a yeah. while. It's hard to sort of separate them out. <laughs> Mate, 2002, you continue your success at the Com Games and, and you'd be the first woman to defend her title in three different games in the 100 fly, which is phenomenal. And also the Pan Packs and Yokohama, um, you come away with five medals. And one of those medals was in the 4 by 100 meter women's freestyle uh, relay. Um, and I was told this story the other day um, that in the in the aftermath of, of you guys winning, um, and I think... I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think the Aussies had beaten the Americans in something like 20 years um, at that stage in that particular relay. And, and you girls were celebrating after it. Um, and I think you and Sarah Ryan were in tears at the, you know, the magnitude of, of what you just achieved. And your younger teammate, Alice Mills, apparently said something to you along the lines of, um, you know, oh, yeah, no, it's good. We, we win relays like this all the time at our club. <laughs> Do you remember something along those lines? I don't. I don't actually know if I was there at the time because I reckon that's something I would have remembered. But, um, yeah, look, it, that was a, really the start of a great era for that 4 by one um, girls relay team. Mm. Um, and, yeah, no, it was, um, it was one of those teams um, that everyone just wanted to be a part of. And... Because we had some great freestyle sprinters at the time in, um, you know, Jodie Henry and Libby Lenton, Alice Mills, Sarah Ryan. So there was a number of people, um, you know, that were really great um, swimmers that, that made up those teams. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be a part of the, the final team um, in Athens and um, to, to win my first Olympic gold medal. So, um you know, I worked really hard on my freestyle so I could be a part of that team and, and um, it was amazing. Hey, you've, we touched on it slightly there, but talk to me about how important relays were to you during your career. I mean, you were part of some great ones, as we said, and certainly ones that paved the way, I think, for the girls to come to sort of stamp their dominance also individually. You know, you achieved so much, but how proud are you of, of what your teammates and yourself were able to achieve? Oh, look, it's, yeah, relays are amazing. Um, they're always a bit more fun, I think. Uh, it, well, there's a lot of pressure still. Like, you, there's pressure to perform and, um, you know, you've you got your teammates relying on you. But um, it's, it's, it's just a different atmosphere and it's great to be able to be part of a relay um, and be able to share the, the experience with three other um, girls. So, yeah, it was amazing. And I always loved swimming relays. I think also relays are an event where people either swim above themselves mm. or they don't swim well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I was, I was one of, I always swam above myself in relays. So I loved them. And um, yeah, it was just great to be able to, to share, um, particularly if you had a good result, um, to, sh to share that with someone else and then, you know, it, with a few other people. So, 
um, yeah, I loved the relays throughout my career, and um, you know, I was able to to finish finish uh, finish up on a relay as well, which was really great. Now, before we get to the 2004 Olympics in Athens, I just want to give people a real understanding of the magnitude of of what you had to endure through your career, and. Before we get to also that moment, which in in my opinion is something that defines you as an athlete and the character of of who Patria uh, Patria Thomas really was as an athlete, um, which to me is is unmatched, but that's just my opinion. Rather than me do it, walk us through your injuries and setbacks. Um, Until this point, you know, we're coming up to Athens and and for everyone at home, you know, while Patria is telling this story, you know, keep in mind that through all of these battles that she's doing in the pool against, you know, some of the greatest of all time with Susie O'Neill, Inga De Bruin, Jenny Thompson, you know, the the list goes on. You're also battling these injuries. Give us a little insight into sort of what you've had to go through through your career. Yeah, look, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride. Certainly, um, not a smooth sailing, and lots of ups and downs along the way. And um, you know, I had my uh, first sort of shoulder issues. Um, basically, it was leading into '96, uh, the Olympic Games, and I remember um, saying, "Oh, you know, my shoulder's sore." And Don Talbot, the head coach at the time, uh, very uncompromising and high standards. <laughs> Don had. Yeah. Great man, but um, yeah, very, very tough. And he, he was saying to me, oh, it's all in your head. It's, you're just nervous. And I'm mm-hmm. um, like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously had a good meet there and, and came back and tried to start training again and went into, uh, you know, basically my shoulder was still sore. So um, ended up having some investigations done, seeing the surgeon and um, making the very tough decision to have my first shoulder reconstruction. That was very unknown as well at the time because no swimmers actually, I don't think really any swimmers have um, been able to uh, navigate a shoulder reconstruction as successful as me. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I had my first one in 96 and basically missed all of 97. Um, I think people were really worried that I'd fall apart as well because I had gone through that rough period in 95. Mm-hmm. And they weren't sure how I'd go um, with the major setbacks, such as such as the shoulder issues that I had. Um, and you know, it was it was a bit up and well, it was very up and down. I think every day through the rehab, I I was questioning, um, should I keep going? And so oh, it's all too hard. And I think you know, I could have walked away easily, and and no one would have thought any less of me, uh, but I would have thought less of myself. Mm. So. So anyway, I made it back and had that um, great year in, in 98. Uh, I was going really well. Um, that was The first one was on my right shoulder. And then I can't even remember. I must have been the end of 98. Um, I started getting sore again, but in my left sh- shoulder this time. And, um, yeah, went and obviously got investigated again. It was pretty crappy, so had a shoulder reconstruction. I can't remember if it was at the end of 98 or start of 99, but, again, I basically missed all of 99. Yeah. Missed the Pampax in Sydney, which was obviously the, the lead-up event to the uh, Sydney Olympics. You know, came back, did the Olympics. Um, you know, went pretty – well, had a good games, and then 2001 was a great year. Um and then my, I'd always, I'm really flexible and don't have very good joint stability. And my ankle had been uh, getting really sore when I was doing kick in the pool. And, you know, I played a lot of basketball, sprained my ankles heaps, not necessarily playing basketball, but just I could fall over on flat ground. So <laughs> yeah. I busted all the ligaments in my ankle as well. So I had that reconstructed. Um, 
And then the next year I was still getting some impingement, so I had to have another operation on, on my ankle. Then 2002, I had come off games, went really well there. And 2003, I remember I was, um, you know, getting ready for training one morning or I was asleep and had my alarm. Mm -hmm. And my alarm was on the right-hand side of me. Mm -hmm. And I leaned over and... Um, sort of put my left arm across to turn the alarm off and my shoulder um, subluxed. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was it was sort of like a realisation of like if I can't even turn the alarm clock off properly without hurting myself, yeah. I can't do the training I yeah, need to. Something's not working. Um, yeah, so that was, that was um, really tough because after the second shoulder reconstruction, I'd always sort of said to myself, if I have to do this again, I'm, it's too much, I'm not yeah. doing it, yeah. it's too hard. But having said that, you know, there was also this little flame um, burning in the back of my mind that, you know, I, I didn't feel like I'd got the best out of myself and mm -hmm. I wanted to try and get that elusive Olympic gold medal. And um, so I bit the bullet and went in and had some more surgery and actually had, from memory, I think, more damage in there that time as well. Mm -hmm. um, there was quite a big tear and so it was, um, you know, just as well I sort of went in and got it fixed up. Um, yeah, and then came back and, again, missed all of 2003. So I had a few years out during my career and then, um, yeah, and then into 2004. So it's, um, yeah, quite a quite a bumpy ride. Mm. Um, but, look, at the same time, whilst it was bloody hard and extremely challenging, a lot of hard work, it actually taught me a lot about myself as well yeah. um, and how how determined and how persistent and how hard I could work to get back as well. So I think had I not gone through those things, um, I don't know if I would have been the swimmer I was in 2004. Mate, 2004, great segue. You brought me right to it. You're a professional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you go through that and we talk about, you know, pretty much 2003 being a write-off, but you, you get to 2004 and you make the Athens Olympics and the home of the Olympics and, and you have one of, you know, pretty much, I think, and I'm sure you'd agree, the meat of your life. Um, in, you come away with an amazing four Olympic medals, three gold, one silver. Now, the, the race I want to concentrate on here uh, is obviously the 100 fly. Now, I'm not going to lie. I did go back and watch this a week ago. Um, and I tell you this, people, after hearing Patria's story just then and knowing what she's gone through, if you go back and watch that race and you don't have a tear in your eye when she touches the wall, I don't know what's wrong with you. Now, talk to me about that moment for you, though. That's obviously, and I mentioned this way um, at the beginning of the podcast, a defining moment, I think, in your career and, and the character of, of you as an athlete. Yeah, look, it was an amazing, uh, amazing meet for me. And um, I always knew it was going to be my last one. So it was sort of like now or never mm -hmm. sort of thing. And I actually remember thinking that when I was out, um, you know, lining up for the final and they were calling out all the, the athletes and um, I remember I had a very steely focus um, looking down the pool, looking at the wind swirling actually because it was quite breezy that yeah, night yeah. and just thinking it's now or never. This is the moment that you've been training for. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, and I also was sort of thinking, well, I hope the wind doesn't, just um, screw around in my lane. I I don't care if it's windy as long as it's equal for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so, uh, talk yeah, to me. I, I want to touch on your um, your suit as well. What what was it like wearing that suit? Uh, 
yeah, I, I liked it. Um, it was um, uh, the the fast skin speedo, fast skin suit, yeah. and because of the issues I had with my body, um, and generally because I'm just I've I'm, I've got loose ligaments, I'm don't have the most stable of joints. Mm-hmm. Um, so the suit, I, I found it, um, it sort of helped. Well, it felt like it helped keep me in one piece. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it provided it just a little bit of extra stability yeah. for my shoulders and, and it felt nice through the water. So, um, yeah, so like it wasn't a suit that many other people wore. There was a few others. I mean, Thorpey um, yeah. uh, had the, the Adidas version of the suit. <laughs> yeah. It looked like a big black seal. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah, I, I liked them. And um, for me, um, for the 100 fly and the shorter events, um, it was – I felt like it, it helped me. And, um, yeah, I, I sort of – I never wore them for a 200 fly very often because I felt um, anyone who's done a 200 fly knows it can be a little bit challenging getting your arms out of the water in the last <laughs> 50. Yeah. So I didn't need, didn't think I needed any um, extra restrictions <laughs> that was going to stop me getting my arms out. Absolutely, uh, mate. Another moment, obviously, is the is the four by one. Talk to me about that. How, how was that moment for you being a part of the team? We've already talked about you know being around the team, but that was another massive moment, and I guess similar to two thousand with the boys. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. As I said, I I worked really hard to try and uh, try and be a part of that four by one free relay team because I'd never done a lot of hundred frees um, prior to that, and I'd done two hundreds a bit. Um, but the hundred free, I mean, we had a crack team. I mean, you know, as I said before, there was you know Jody Henry, uh, Libby Lenton, uh, Alice Mill, Sarah Ryan, um, plus a few others. You know, all vying for for those positions and I worked really hard to to develop you know a decent hundred free so I could be in consideration for that and when I was selected for the final team it was amazing um it was on my first night of competition it was um you know it was, and we were able to win and break the world record and for me, that was my first Olympic gold medal mm. so it took a, a felt even though I was in a relay it felt like it took a bit of pressure off and I was able to, to come in the next night for the final of the 100 fly and really feel like, well, at least I've got an Olympic gold medal now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the shackles are so, off a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So, um, but, you know, obviously the the Olympic gold individually is, is really special. It's just different. But, um, you know, when it's just you sort of and you can't hide behind any teammates, um, it's just a different feeling. Mate, another touching moment, you know, for yourself, and I, I think a fitting way to, to finish your career was being asked to carry the flag at the closing ceremony. What was that like? Oh, it was amazing, yeah. I mean, generally it's um, in Australian Olympic teams, it's it's um, that honour is um, sort of bestowed upon the person who they've deemed to perform the best. So um, to be given that honour for, for Athens was amazing and um yeah, I'll never forget it. But it was the whole experience actually was what so it was amazing to carry the flag was a little bit underwhelming in Athens because they <laughs> they had you know they just lined all the athletes up with their flags and trotted them out about fifty meters into the stadium on this platform sort of thing and you put the flag in and then they're like oh you know off you go into the crowd so <laughs> <laughs> so. Actually, a lot of people don't even realise that I did carry the flag then because um, it, there wasn't a lot um, of sort of time spent on yeah. 
um, focusing on that. But, um, yeah, like certainly a moment that I'll never forget. There you go, mate. Proves I do my research then. Um, <laughs> now, uh, you announced your retirement um, that year and, and given everything you'd been through, I, th- I think you'd earned a bloody break, mate. Did you know um, – oh, sorry – did you, you know, know when you were finishing swimming what you were going to do after it and what did life look like for you after you retired? Well, I've done a sports admin slash sports management degree. Uh, it took me nine years to get that done at the University of Canberra. And, wow. um, yeah, it was a long, hard haul, but mm-hmm. I was proud that I did it. And I did some work experience as well along the way in a couple of sporting organisations and just to try and get some experience. And also when I was uh, recuperating after my surgeries as well, I couldn't swim, obviously. So uh, so I tried to spend that time wisely and, yeah, managed to graduate in 2004, not long before the Olympics. And, um, yeah, but I really wasn't sure, I suppose, what I would end up doing. Um, I knew well, I was hoping it would be in sport, but I was able to do a lot of public speaking and, and things for probably about 18 months after the Games and then that sort of started to slide down as, you, as it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, well, you know, I've got to find a real job now. So <laughs> I got some casual work at the Australian Sports Commission and um, did that for a while and then um, in, to, um, in 2006 had my first child, my son. Mm. Um, so I was out of the workforce again for a little while with that and then um, thankfully I was able to to, to get some more work um, when I came back at the at the Sports Commission and that turned into a, a full-time role and, yeah, I sort of gradually worked my way up a couple of levels there and, um, yeah, so I worked in that sports admin. I actually looked after the – I worked in the funding area, so looking after some of the grant programs. Nice. Uh, yeah, which was interesting. And then I worked at Swimming Australia for about five years and then um, moved to Gymnastics Australia. So I've been there uh, about over 18 months now. Now You mentioned there being a mum and and having a family and obviously you're working. How do you find, you know, the work-family balance? I know myself at the moment with a young daughter, as I mentioned to you before we started, and trying to, you know, coach and be the best you can be in in all areas. I think I spoke to Gian Rooney once and she said it was a lot like juggling balls and you're sort of concentrating on the ball that's about to hit the ground. How do you, you know, find the balance and try and strike that? Oh, look, it's tough. And, and you know, like when you're an athlete, sort of the, the, the focus of your world is yourself, really. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds really selfish, but it, it's just the way it is. Um, you know, you've got to look after yourself. But, you know, when you – obviously then when you, you get married or you get a partner or whatever, then the focus gets shared, you know, with them. Mm. Um, and then when you have kids, it, it gets divided again. And, and as we all know as parents, um, the focus is always the kids. Um, yeah, yeah. So – you know, most of the things you do as families are, are to, to make sure you that, you know, you get the, the best outcomes for your kids. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a juggle. Um, you know, it's obviously um, with work and then the, the kids and stuff. We live a pretty busy lifestyle. It's been a bit quieter in the uh, last few months <laughs> with the, the COVID-19 yeah, lockdowns. Yeah. But, uh but, um, yeah, look, it's always busy. My daughter's quite sporty. My son's not sporty whatsoever and doesn't mm-hmm. like sport. Yep. Hates it. Um, he's a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, daughter loves the sport and, um, you know, so we're carting her around to taking her. She's into gymnastics at the moment. Plus, she does um, – they do some tennis and 
daughter does martial arts and a, a couple other things. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so it's pretty busy. Mate, I want to uh, finish our chat here with some less serious questions, and they're kind of rapid fire, but I guess they give us a little bit more of an insight into into who Patria Thomas is away from swimming um, and, and away from, you know, being competitive and just, you know, what you like at home. So well, I'll give you, you know, a scenario. It might be just favourite music, favourite book, something like that, and you just give me whatever f- comes to your head first. And if, it, if you don't read books, you can just say, I don't read books. That's fine. Cool. Because I have had that before. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, favourite music or artist? Don't really have a favourite. Okay. What about books or movies? Movies. All right. What is your favourite movie or do you have a few? Mm, probably Apollo 13. Love it. Yep. And I love The Martian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that the one with uh, Matt Damon? That's the one. Oh, yeah, I love it. Very good. What about – what's your biggest fear? Not living up to my own expectations. Oh, very nice. What about your favourite meal? You're obviously an athlete. You would have loved a good feed Ooh. at times. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> probably a really good chicken parmy. Oh, very nice. Uh, now, you've travelled the world, mate. You've, you've visited some, some wonderful countries. Some of your favourite countries you've visited. Well, I love the USA. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved South Africa when we've been there on safari couple of times uh love places like uh thailand uh love really enjoyed bali so yeah been, been a few places that I've, I've really enjoyed a little bit more swimming related now who were some of your biggest rivals in the pool when you were when you were at your peak uh, i've probably spoken about them already but you know obviously susie from a from an australian perspective um and then probably people like jenny thompson Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the greatest um, American female swimmers of all time. And Inga de Bruin, probably towards the later part of my career. Uh, Tilia Zedvedak, she was a Polish girl that was um, a really great swimmer in those last few years that I was still swimming. So, What about the best piece of advice you've ever been given? It's not so much advice that I've been given, I, and I, but I think um, my sort of mantra is to, to, to keep up uh, Treat people how you like to be treated yourself. And I think if you do that, you can't go wrong. I think that is perfect advice. Um, mate, when you look back on your career and, and everything that you've accomplished and you've, you've left your mark on the world of swimming, certainly on, on myself and in my opinion, you know, what are you proud of most? And what do you think you know, the legacy of Patria Thomas will be when people sort of do their research as I did on your swimming career? Um, I think I'm personally I'm most proud of the the determination that I had to overcome the challenges and yes like the medals are fantastic and I'm very proud of those and what I was able to achieve but I think um, I'm more proud of the fact that that it wasn't an easy easy ride there and it was um, extremely challenging and I was able to rise to those challenges and, and beat them. Mate, I think we'll wrap it up there. It's a perfect way to uh, to finish the show today. And I just want to thank you very much for taking the time to, to come on. I know you're going through a lot, you know, traveling up there to, to get your mum and you're, you're about to make another big trip back. And, um, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to, to interview you. It truly has. And um, I hope you've enjoyed the chat as well. I hope I haven't uh, chewed your ear off too much. Um, and I, I look forward to, you know, perhaps catching up at some time in the future, mate, for another chat. But until then, Patria Thomas, thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swim podcast. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. And um, it's been great to have a chat.
No worries. Thank you very much. Today's episode is proudly brought to you, as always, by Pro Swim Workouts. What a huge week of interviews we still have to come your way. And of course, firstly, a massive thank you to one of the greats, Patria Thomas, for coming on and being her inspirational self. I thoroughly enjoyed the chat and I really hope she did as well. What is still to come this week? I hear you ask. Well, coming your way starting tomorrow, we have Alex Graham, Mina Atherton, Nick Sloman, and Daniel Kowalski. And to celebrate the huge week of interviews and our new partnership, we are doing a very, very big arena giveaway to some lucky fans of the show and arena. So stay glued for the rest of the week to the podcast and on our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram for more information on what the prize is and what you need to do to get your hands on it. Until then, though, guys, it's bye for now.